Previously on Storylogical. <laughs> Side note, we're nailing it tonight. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> no, let's just take that out. Take that out on the edit. Hmm? Nothing. What? Reading stories like this makes me happy to be alone. It helps if you press record. This is Storylogical, a podcast about amazing stories. That we kind of like. I'm Chris Camerud. And I'm E.G. Kosh. This week, it's all about Kids Johnson and how delightful and delicious her stories are. Uh, My pick for her is Ponies from 2010. That was published on Tor.com. I just realized the illustration on Tor.com is of a pony's head on a cushion and a droplet of blood (laughs) exploding out of the top of their head as though it is a blowhole. (laughs) Yes, it's really fucking dark. Um, Ponies. Well, kudos to you, Tor.com illustrator, uh, otherwise known as... Chris Puzzelli. Uh Ponies. Let's, I'm going to start by talking about me. All about me. Oh, that's really what this podcast has always been about. Uh-huh. Yeah. Really, these are just two voices inside of Emma's head. <laughs> oh, thank God they're not. Hmm? Nothing. What? Uh, so when I started reading short stories, it was about the same time as I started thinking, oh, maybe I want to write. And that was around 2010. Okay. It's <laughs> not when you were seven. Not when I was seven. No, oh God, I was late to the party. I hated English at school. I hated writing. My English teacher, when I was about 14, was the kind of guy who would read Shakespeare. It would make us read Shakespeare around the room, laugh at the jokes, not explain them. And then if anybody talked, he would throw the board rubber at you. And I mean, it was just not an exciting experience. Mm. So it Mm. took me a little while in my adult life to get turned on to, to reading and writing and exploring literature. Anyway... Point being, 2010, short stories woke me from my days and I discovered this story. 1,255 words of pure, mind-blowing perfection. I had never seen... So, so you've got to bear in mind... I mean, this story is amazing, but you've got to bear in mind that I'm coming at it from, from the position of, of never having read any of the science fiction or genre magazines... Right. Never having, it's I'd read some Neil Gaiman stuff. The first time you've seen the sun rise above the ocean. Right, and so for that reason, it's very dear to my heart. And then also, it does help that it is a fantabulous story that echoes so many of my experiences in life. But okay. I'm yeah. Gonna, what are I'm your main talk concerns about the story in now. life? Let's just get those down real quick. So bullying. Bullying is a whole big whoop. Bullying and belonging and feeling like what kind of community are you part of and how do you become part of a community? Mm. What do you have to do for it to let you in? Yeah, and, yeah. what do you have to give up for yeah, it to let exactly. you in? And, and, and it's all how of that and it has yourself? ponies? Right, cute. And I loved My Little Ponies when I was a little girl. Me too, as a and little I, boy. Yeah. yeah. And I gender cut, them. I cut my pony's hair and it didn't grow back. It's a real sad time. That's a very sad time. You should write that. Oh, I didn't do it I because I didn't story. do it because I wanted the pony to belong in any way. I oh. just, I just was really, I guess, uncertain of the distinction between reality That's and fair. That's biological what, growth. I love how you toys. were cutting their hair, not certain whether it would grow back, and me certain that my characters could not actually bleed, and so I had a little red marker that when <laughs> they got you? punched, I would put a little blood on their lips or something <laughs> to make it more realistic, and then I would have to have a little paper towel that I would wet to wipe off the blood. So Sometimes that they'd be I worry ready. about how much we're sharing about ourselves with the world on this, uh, but it also makes me happy. 
Okay. Yeah, so how is this story about all of those things and also about ponies? And also, she does it all in 1,255 words. Well, I mean, to be fair, you can do anything in 1,255 oh words if you know it's what you're doing. It's a lot of words, yeah. I think, I think that above all else, yes. the thing that we should leave readers with after this episode is that okay. Kids we're, Johnson... We're telling you now, which I love, it's a very Kids Johnson thing to do. To yeah. heck with suspense, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Here's yeah. what you should take away from this episode. Kids Johnson knows what the fuck she's doing. <laughs> <laughs> That's it done yeah hashtag not a spoiler yeah so this story is all about uh, a little girl barbara and her pony sunny who have finally been invited to uh, join the cool gang right which kidge beautifully just calls all smushed together the other girls um and the other girls the leader of this group is the top girl and they invite her to what's called a topping out a topping out no a cutting out party and at this party a girl's pony has to choose what to sacrifice from their wings, their horn, or their voice. And so the, it starts with this conversation between Barbara and Sunny about what Sunny is going to choose to let go of. And Sunny wants to keep her voice. So she says, okay, I'm going to lose my wings. I'm going to lose my horn. I'm going to keep being able to speak is everything. And so they settle on this and then they go off to the party. Now, because it's a great story, and because Kids Johnson knows what's, what she's up to, even after Sonny has made the sacrifice, it turns out that actually that's not enough. That was for Barbara to be able to join the gang. In order for Sonny to be able to join the gang, she also has to uh, sacrifice her voice. And Sonny decides that she is not down with that. She does not want to be part of this team. And then she gets massacred by the other ponies. Dum, dum, dum. End. Close scene. <laughs> there's just some cotton candy blood caught on the barbed wire fence oh but readers you have to read the story you have to read the story Com- yeah. compulsory yeah it is online this isn't one of those tricky stories we pick that is in an anthology or a short <laughs> story collection or <laughs> yeah. in uh, a journal that you have to <gasps> pay for <laughs> this is a really good example of why short stories are amazing, um, why they matter, and what they can do that novels just can't. Mm. It, they just can't. It's just too bad for novels. I'm sorry. They you can't, can't come do to this party. You do not again. belong at this party. Yeah, for a novel to belong at this party, it basically is going to need to cut off about 95% mm-hmm. of, of what it thinks it can do. It's actually a Kurt Vonnegut quote that uh, one of the eight rules of writing is to heck with the suspense. Don't hold things back. Part of the reason why the story is so short and so good is at the very beginning, it says, this is what the story is about. Let's get on with it. Well, now let's complicate it. And now there's a dead pony. And so the story raises questions. It attacks them. It rips them apart. And it punches you in the face while it does it. And then it leaves. That's something that short stories can do. They can raise questions. They can attack them. And they can leave them splintered in you in a way that will stay mm. like a splinter. You see what I've done there? Mm-hmm. I've explained my metaphor. And, and novels, the characters tend to live on with you, the relationships. Sometimes the ideas will, will live on with you as well. But there's something short stories can do in the way of, of, of almost to me like great pop art, um, which is something actually Kidge kind of references by having all of the names of the people, like the other girls, top girls. They're basically brands that almost should have a little trademark yeah. symbol after oh, them because I, they're the they're the stories that we tell ourselves about what belonging means and so she's written them as they're, they're like these little pop ideas and these characters kind of stay with you 
but they're they're specific and vague enough that they rip apart your insides because there's just enough to create a beautiful mirror to see yourself broken inside of. The way she brands the, the bullies, the other girls, it made me think about Scott McCloud and understanding comics and the way he says that... The more iconic and symbolic the image of the face, the more you can pour yourself into this, into it. And so with this, with the other girls and the top girl and the wanting to belong, I was able to pour all of my experience of bullying into it and feel like, you know, those other girls were exactly like the other girls that I knew at school. And the top girl was exactly like somebody who I should probably not name in public at that at school. And... I brought all of those feelings to the party. And how do I put this? So, yes, I am bringing all of this stuff, all of this emotion to the party. But Kidge is making me do it. Just with, just through her deft use of language, her deft use of symbolism. She is reaching inside of me and just pulling up my viscera. It is also another thing that short stories can get away with in a way that makes them super powerful. It would become grating and really kind of unbelievable to go through a whole story with just the other girl and the top girl mm. you would just stupid you'd It'd end up seeing backstory you'd know who top girl's mom was a bunch of meaningless i don't care who top girl's mom is yeah it's dumb um there's something radical like in this story of being able to see the world clearly and to put it in front of people so that they see it clearly as well yeah, yeah, it's always, a lot of radicalism is always about getting us to see what's right before our eyes. One of the essential truths that she gets at in this story is the nature of belonging and what you have to sacrifice in order to belong and how how so often in our society we set up these catch-22 situations like um, to be... It, to be feminine is to be weak, and to be weak is is negative. But if you are strong and a woman, then you are no longer feminine and therefore not a real woman. And so there is no way to win. And she has boiled that down to the till there is nothing left to remove. It's just the very essence of that idea exists in this story. And every time I read it, I'm I'm unmade by it again and again, because I just think, yeah that those kinds of traps are what i find myself in every day and and i'm sure every person has their own version of that those traps that they that they live in it, it's shortness and it's specific vagary it never loses its power yet because every time you come back to it it still leaves you all the room in the world to bring whatever you need to bring to it and as long as you're ready to come to the party it, it's ready to throw down and one of the things that i was thinking about reading the story some of my experience of going to, to sci-fi cons and, and then talking to other people that are in the literary world because I have you know came through an MFA that was more about literariness and more about mimetic stories, though we did have a story, uh, workshop on zombies. Um, it made me think about, like you're talking about femininity, that when, that when like Michael Shaben was nominated, I think, for the Nebula or the Hugo for his Yiddish Policeman's Union. And this was a few years ago. Um, but there was... A, a little ruckus of annoyance, as there often is when somebody that seems to come from the literary world gets nominated for a sci-fi award, uh, award or when somebody from the sci-fi fantasy world doesn't get the recognition they get. There is a similar mindset that if, say, 
somebody like Michael Chabon writes SF, then he's no longer a literary writer or he's not a good enough SF writer. Uh, and there is a lot of the, the policing of the boundaries between the genres ends up really being no different than if you want to come to play in our group, these are the things you need to lose. Mm. If you want to go play in that group, these are the things you need to lose. I'm sorry, there's no way you get to keep all of the things. Oh, I think you can't have had success as a literary author. That's oh, yeah, one yeah. of the essential <laughs> things. One you thing you need, you need to have pre not had this thing. Yeah, um, because... Um, Margaret Atwood, wow, she makes some some genre people super angry by writing science fiction. Um, but I... Yeah, though she also has at times said, I don't write science fiction. Yeah. But to, to be fair, from her perspective, I imagine having met people that have yelled at yell her. Yell at her and say, just, you're not writing it! Um, yeah. Reading stories like this makes me happy to be alone. <laughs> not part of any group. Surreptitiously dancing around the edge of all groups. Yeah, yeah. I uh, Maybe doing your breakfast club dance. That was pretty impressive. Yeah, the breakfast club dance was really good. So something particular in this story that I like is that, because I feel like we've been talking a lot about what it means to us and what it is big. <laughs> the ponies. Just just for a second. Let's remember the ponies. The, the ponies are here in the story as some kind of externalization of something about who these girls are. And what is magical to me about the ending, in which it turns out that the ponies also have their own rules, and that when the ponies break the rules of the pony people, uh, they get killed, is that, one, it's just something I really love. I really love these emblems of, of childhood or innocence being complicated and therefore being made more realistic, since we, as we all know, children aren't really innocent or evil. They're just people of a shorter height i love that the ponies in the story ended up being darker and scarier than we imagine and that what stays with me is this sense of, of children as just smaller people being out there in the backyard at play with forces bigger and more terrible than they really understand is a, a, a touch of kind of poetic truth that to me kind of hugs together anything else she's saying about belonging or about bullying because ultimately those ponies are operating under rules that we don't really have access to. We don't understand it. And that feels like the, just the right wrapping to this story, that there's something inexplicable and scary out there. It's old. My Kids Johnson pick is that old classic 26 Monkeys, also The Abyss. Now, to be fair, it is possibly one of my favorite stories, and it's not just because she uses the word also in her title, which if you've read our newsletters, I use the word also a lot. In 98% of your sentences. Ba -dum -bum. 26 Monkeys, Also the Abyss, is the story, is a story of a woman named Amy who has experienced something in her past. Doesn't matter what right now. Uh, what matters is that Amy has this cool trick with these 26 monkeys where she goes on stage the monkeys do some cool stuff. They wear some cool clothes. They act out skits from Abbott and Costello. That last bit I made up, but it gives you an idea. They are Performers. surprisingly talented monkeys. Uh, some of them aren't even monkeys. I believe one of them is a chimpanzee. Uh, the story does note that they aren't a monkey, but we're not going to go back and change the title at this point. Uh, and the cool thing that the monkeys do at the end of the magic show is they all climb up into a bathtub that is hung above the stage and then... A little poof, a 
little a little explosion goes off, and the tub flips, and the monkeys are gone. Uh, Amy does not know where the monkeys go, but in the middle of the night, while Amy is with her current boyfriend in their trailer, the monkeys trail back in, back into their lives, back into their little cages, nestling in their bed, sometimes with some odd things they seem to have brought back from wherever they have gone. And that is the world of this story. And it is constructed in perhaps my favorite story construction style, which is just numbered sections. One, two, three, four, five. Can you guess how many sections there are? 26. Yeah, 26. No, there's 24. That's a real oh. oversight. I really wanted that to be 26. <laughs> I know. That every time I read it, I forget how many sections are there are. And I think, oh, there's going to be 26. Mm-hmm. And then there's only 24. And... And I think, oh, that's because ultimately one of the monkeys dies and one of the monkeys isn't a monkey. So they're really only 24 <laughs> monkeys. That's why there's only 24 sections. Maybe. The, the story, it does not have that same punching effect that Ponies does. But it does have the, actually that same clarity. It knows what it's about. It knows all about the iceberg that is underneath. And you get to, you experience this immense pleasure and her unveiling of the monkeys and the life Amy has built with them. At the same time, the kid is building up all the emotional weight that she needs to give you Amy. Yeah. As it as it comes comes uh to the surface of the story near the end. You and you gradually come to realize through that building up that Amy bought this monkey show lock stock and barrel from a guy who she she saw uh, perform it for a dollar and she mm-hmm. bought it at a time when she was having a, a serious low point in her life where everything was bad and that somehow owning this um, show this entertainment interacting with these monkeys seeing them perform night after night disappearing somewhere unknown and then always returning little by little that constant returning of the monkeys rebuilds her confidence and allows her to climb out of her own abyss of depression there's a bit where kidge describes amy thusly thusly yeah that's a word i can use uh it says amy uh sorry she as an amy no longer believes that anything makes sense even though she can't stop hoping and that's a very early line in the story and you and you're right that the the continual return of the monkeys it works not to replace her belief that things make sense but it works to maintain that hope i guess i feel like it lends her life structure that she is unable to give herself when the story starts when you talk to people who are dealing with depression or people who are helping others deal with depression they talk about needing to form new habits needing to form new brain pathways and that's what the constant repetition of the the trick and the leaving and the returning is that it's building new pathways, that something that looks disastrous is actually not. Um, Okay, yes. Uh, I say a couple of things. Uh, One, I get where you're coming from with depression. I hesitate to read the story, which, like Ponies, is written at a beautiful, specific vagueness that leaves Mm. it open to any, to attach it to depression. Because much like the story we read by Margot Lanigan singing My Sister Down, this story is about grief and about loss and how that shatters your sense of both causality Mm. and that that the world has any meaning for you 
um, in that it, it feels like the gift of the monkeys that is passed along from person to person in the story is the gift of a kind of magic that reminds you that while we lose things all the time for no reason that we can understand, there are also things that come back or come into our life yeah. without any reason, and that both these things exist in the world. The monkeys disappear. We don't know why. But also they come back, and we don't know why. And those things happen. And I feel like the story, both for us reading it and for Amy experiencing it, you're right, it builds up that repetition and comfort that we lose things and we also gain things. Mm -hmm. And somewhere in that, if we can gain that perspective of seeing both sides of the magic trick, right? Because there's no magic if things just disappear, even though that's the way it's presented on stage. The magic doesn't exist until the thing comes back, until yeah. the woman is made whole again at the end of the show. We get to experience that with her and she yeah, learns that piece, that perspective on, on magic and that... I want to touch on what you said about grief and dealing with grief because in this story, the way that the monkeys disappear is that Zeb, the oldest monkey, um, has a performs a great bellow or shout. There's this rick and then the noise ricochets around the stage, and then all the monkeys are gone. And two thirds, halfway through the story, Zeb dies, and it is devastating. Readers, I'm just going to pause here in the description of the story to to note that when I read this story a few weeks ago, I was I was racked with sobs like a toddler, like so so much I could hardly breathe. And I went into the study to to get some comfort from Chris, and all I could say was "Dad," and Chris couldn't understand what I was saying, and so leapt out of his cat out of the seat, imagining that someone we loved or knew in real life was actually dead and then <laughs> looked surprised when I was like no it's just this character in this story um but but the the way the story builds on that is that Zeb's role in the show is replaced by another monkey and the trick still continues to work life Continues goes on. to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The magic continues. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's doing um, both the thing you said, like in ponies, because Zeb is not human. It gives you more space to read into his character, whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Which this, this story exists really to me like all stories, but some people would say it's like, like a lot of fantasy stories where there's a kind of numinous magical thing that overlays the emotional, uh, an emotional engine. That is really driving the story. Now, I would say that's every story that's ever been written. You need an emotional engine that's underneath, and the story is sitting on top of it. If the story was just what the emotion is, yeah, nothing. You just got, like, people yelling at each other, I'm sad all the time. I'm sad, I'm sad, I'm sad. Now I'm not sad. Boring. That's what um, some people say about literary stories. Yeah, but that's just like any story. They're not written well yeah, if it's yeah. right every there. I feel like what they really say about literary great stories... stories. I feel like actually a lot of people, what they say about literary stories is that the thing, the emotional engine has been pushed so far down. Like what somebody said really smart about feeling like in the spectrum of uh, sci-fi, fantasy, genre, and literary, that over here in sci-fi fantasy land, character motivation is clear. And over here in literary land, character motivation is not clear. And so on the one, one side, we're trying to figure out what character's motivation is. And on the other side, we're trying to see what they find or blow up or whatever. I believe Emma Kosh said that. And so this story yeah, exists in that place where we don't know what the motivation is per se. We don't know what's driving the character. 
And when Zeb dies, there's this exchange between uh, Amy and her, her boyfriend, Jeff. Amy cries all day. It's okay, Jeff says. It's not about Zeb, she sobs. I know, he says. Now, this is section 21 of a 24-section short story, and it is a moment that I love in stories where it's like that. there's this fragile, there's this small child that is hurt, that is hiding in the story. And near the end of the story, if the story has done its job, that small child peeks out and waves at you, the reader, and is like, I'm here. And that's that moment in this story where she's like, it's not about Zeb. It's like, I know. It's, it's about the thing that happened earlier in her life. It reminded me of when my grand, grandmother died, which was one of the first, maybe the first close family relative that died. That being me, what I did was I happened to be watching television and the series finale of MASH was on. Now, Emma, I don't think you've ever seen MASH. I've, I've seen the occasional episode. I don't think you've seen the series finale. Mm-mm. Okay. There's a lot of death and sadness. Anyway, I watched that series finale pretty much willfully, even though I'd seen it before, to experience loss inside the story and to cry, cry, cry. And it it made me think about how with this story, that what a scary, safe place stories are that allow us to experience these emotions Mm. fully and completely. Because that's the magic of a narrative, is we get to have this emotional arc that takes us all the way from the beginning through to the other side of an emotion. And we're both more aware of how we're broken but more whole at the end of it uh that's that's a good job for a story good job talking about wholeness this story is incredibly perfectly shaped and complete in itself oh yeah that's good yeah go with that i got something to say (laughs) and because not it doesn't end until two things happen okay so firstly amy heals and she sells on the monkey show to the next person right, and you right. think okay yeah oh i bet that felt so good as a writer <laughs> like imagining oh she bought this story she bought this story she bought this show <gasps> she's gonna have to sell, sell it the show. End, right and and a good writer might stop there but kids doesn't stop there no, the, the no. final that's right a great writer <laughs> the great writer answers the question that's in the pretty much the opening line of the story which is where do the monkeys go and after Amy sells the show, the monkeys sometimes come back to visit her at night. Yeah. And she finds out where the monkeys go. And they go to visit all of the other previous owners. And so sometimes she gives the monkeys little trinkets to take back. Yeah. And that is, oh, I'm just getting a tight chest thinking about yeah, right? how perfect that's it is. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. That makes it. Uh, uh, the magic of grief never leaves you. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's true. Uh, something else about the structure that I love about how well it's made is there's something, most of these sections, almost until you get to section 16 or 17, are almost all once upon a time to bring in some more Vonnegut. Uh, he's, he's the guy that said that every <laughs> line the in the story should do two things. They should do, they should either reveal character or advance the plot advance the action maybe i don't know which one he said uh but most of the time in this story it's amazing it's just um number 12 is zeb is dying that's how 12 begins number 11 begins amy's boyfriend number 10 begins no one knows how the monkeys vanish or where they go every section in the story really almost until the end is this is a thing that i'm going to explain to you this is a thing that is 
happening in the background. It's happening. And you almost don't get a scene until mm, 19, I think, when Amy and Jeff go for a walk. And yet all through those descriptions, she manages, she's constructed the um, fantastical nature of the story so that they all reveal Amy's character. Because we know that she's in this situation because of something terrible that's happened. And so therefore everything that's described about the show or the way she lives her life somehow unpicks, digs into that situation and who she is and, and what she's running from. I kind of agree with you. Okay. But I would say that that while that is true, there are sections, like there's one section where it is a bullet-pointed list of all the different kinds of monkeys. One of which is a surly gibbon. Yeah, one of which is a surly gibbon. Is there a uh, Kids Johnson fan site out there somewhere called a surly gibbon? I, think I don't know, be. but it is one of the greatest things. So I think that while you're right, that one of the early sections is, this is who Amy is. And in the description of who Amy is, we understand to a certain extent, why this story is being told. I think, as a writer and a reader, there is a joy and delayed pleasure with added content. I don't know how to put it, but that list of the monkeys and some of the other sections in this Mm. story, you could probably take out if you really wanted to. But I think there's something else going on besides just the information in those sections advancing uh, who Amy is or who what her emotion is there's the fact that if you set up a good enough question and character at the beginning, readers will plow through mm-hmm. almost anything to get there. That's so if you true. can give them extra deliciousness on the way, they'll just love it even more. Cause it'll be like, Oh, that's great. I'm still really interested in this other thing you said before, but I'm, I'm excited about that, that I just read as well, even though it's not taking me anywhere. And also while it's difficult to pin down, there is a tone of voice that isn't just, characterized by by how people say things it's by what they choose to tell you it kind of like with a joke there's a structure where you have to say the first thing and then you need a couple of other things and then there's a third thing and that a lot of what your voice is is just what you choose to put in there mm-hmm. for the other two beats mm-hmm. like there has to be something and yeah that's what i was thinking like the list of the monkeys that's there because i don't know she wanted a beat that's what she chose to put there now it's a kids johnson story because there's a list Uh, which I I think I stole that. I stole everything. Perfect. Uh, Thanks for listening, readers. This has been a podcast that you listened to. We hope you enjoyed it. It's called Story Logical. Which is story. Like the word. Oh. Like one of the letters of the alphabet. I'll leave it to you to figure out which one. And logical. Like everything we've said in this episode. Or Aristotle, because that rhymes. Kind of. It's a slant rhyme. You can follow him on Twitter at Kubols. You can follow her on Twitter at E.G. Kosh. You can find us and like us and talk to us uh, on Facebook. It is facebook.com slash storylogical. If you didn't catch it before, we are on Twitter also at storylogical, which we didn't say. Did I miss that one? Yeah, you missed missed a trick there, but that's fine. Um, We... Uh, do not receive any funding or advertising so if you have enjoyed this at all please please head over to itunes leave us a review and some stars and that will help other people find us they will and if if you don't have itunes or you're just in principle against words that begin with a lowercase letter and then have an uppercase letter after them please just tell one other person or just send us a message say hi it sounds so lonely um well, you know, it's interesting you say that because I realized at a certain point in my life, fuck that. Yeah. I like it when people say hi to me. 
I like to say hi to other people if they're open to it. I like to make that connection. And saying that I'm interested in other people saying hello to me. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It gets characterized if you make yourself open. Like, I would like it if people talk to me. It's like, what's wrong with that person that they're so lonely that they want people to talk to them? I know. It's such a terrible high school thing. But it's fine. It's all different. Whatevs. Um, For show notes, for appropriate and inappropriate gifts, for links to past episodes and a chance to subscribe to this podcast, you can always find us at our home on the web. Storyological.com. Thanks for listening. Happy reading. Uh, The last time we did this was for a writer known by the name Kelly Link. Oh, I believe yeah. that is also her real name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she hasn't secretly been parading under uh, an assumed identity all this time. Aren't we all, though, Emma? Aren't we all? What do you have to give up in order to be a member of the sci-fi community writer? I think yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I think that, to some people, a love of good prose. <laughs> you know, if, you, if you're in love with words themselves... That's not what you're going to get a lot of in SF. Some. Exactly. There is. That's why there's a divide in between sci-fi and fantasy sometimes. It's almost back to that uh, masculine-feminine thing. That to be a good sci-fi writer, you've got to do away with the frivolity of fashion or prettiness. Um, which I've encountered from some people. They're almost in the same sentence talking about what makes science fiction great and then saying, you know, I, I learned very quickly that fashion was meaningless. That there, mm. there's nothing about out external aesthetics that has any value in the world and the whole you know society runs by a style empty superficial you know that you can almost read as is is again coded attacks on that the attacks on appearance are coded attacks against a kind of femininity the idea of of a presentation of yeah, a beautiful the way self femini- femininity is constructed in our society yeah, yeah, that that in itself is the catch uh, a catch twenty two that you're talking about. Like women, you need to work on your appearance to make yourself look good, but also everything about you we are going to devalue because you're so obsessed with appearances. You're clearly shallow and not worth my time. Mm-hmm. <sighs>